Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. Hey everybody, welcome today as we move into part three on our series called Finding Faith. We've had some really interesting discussions. I just want to remind you that if you have any questions, uh, you are welcome to just drop them into the comments section today or send us an email at info at anchorjoburg.org. And in the final part of the series, we will be doing a Q&A and answering as many of those questions as we can. But it's so good to be with you today. In the past two weeks, we've spoken about the reality of and the existence of something, that we've got a creation, that we've got nature, that we've got this universe around us. And how did it come to be? And we found that it is quite rational to believe in the existence of a creator if we examine the evidence. And we said that if there is a creator, and if we can infer from creation that he is a good God, that he is good uh, morally and a moral and caring and kind God, then how come there is evil in the world? And so if you missed either of those, um, then you can go back and just listen to them. They're on our YouTube channel, SoundCloud on Facebook, wherever you're watching or listening, they're available for you. And so last week we spoke about the presence of evil. Why is there suffering? Why does it exist? But today I want to cover another major stumbling block when it comes to people believing in God, believing in the reality of Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And that is the belief in miracles. It requires the belief in miracles. And the question today is, can we believe in miracles. We read about miracles in the Old Testament. We read about miracles in the New Testament. When it comes to Jesus' life, we have the virgin birth, the ministry of Jesus and of the church in, involved a lot of miracles, uh, the resurrection of Jesus itself, which is the center point of what we believe. All these were miraculous events. And so if we can't believe in miracles, can we believe in God? A miracle is defined as an event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency, i.e. an interference with nature by a supernatural power. Is it possible? Could it be? Richard Dawkins, who we've mentioned before in the series, he said the virgin birth, the resurrection, the raising of Lazarus, even the Old Testament miracles, all are freely used for religious propaganda. And they are very effective with an audience of unsophisticates and children. Not condescending at all, Richard Dawkins. Um, but as sophisticated, rational people living in the year 2020, can we believe in miracles? Can we believe that the supernatural is possible or that there may be involvement with the supernatural. And if we can't believe in miracles, can we believe in Jesus? Since the story of Jesus centers around his resurrection and immaculate conception. Here's the objection that we're looking at today. Since miracles contradict science, they cannot be true. It cannot be possible. In week one, we said that this was not an argument of Jesus versus science. That's not what the discussion is, but against, but of naturalism versus creationism, that everything just came about in and of itself and is self-existent, or that it was put into being by a creator. Naturalism, naturally, 
doesn't allow for the supernatural. It claims that there is nothing above the natural, which is what the word supernatural means. Nothing metaphysical or more than or deeper than the physical. Aristotle in Metaphysics 2 said those who wish to succeed must ask the right preliminary questions. In other words, once again, you have to go back to how everything was created, how everything started, because if you don't get it right there, every premise that you build on top of it or every theory that you build on top of that original premise would be incorrect. What is your starting point when it comes to miracles? If you conclude from the outset that miracles cannot occur, then no amount of evidence will convince you otherwise. You will cling to a naturalistic view of all things and go to lengths to explain away miraculous phenomena in our world. So you have naturalists and supernaturalists. Naturalists hold that anything that is true, that everything that we can know is only knowable via the five senses that we have. But there is difficulty, and this is a difficulty that has been grappled with in psychology, psychiatry, anthropology, and many different sciences, is what do we do with, for example, the emotions of human beings? What do we do with an inner sense because they are natural, yet they are so difficult to perceive with the senses. They're so difficult to sometimes even understand according to the senses. And we can only hypothesize or theorize about them, yet they are natural. So how do we then know how we can divide what is natural and what is supernatural, especially when it comes into those areas like the area of human emotions and human being? that we struggle to know all the facts about in the traditional scientific sense. Well, let us look at a few examples of the concept of what is natural. How do we decide what's natural and what's supernatural? This is the important question today. A few examples of how people use or understand something as being natural. They say an animal in its natural state hunts for itself. People say, I love to get out of the city and into nature. It, you might have been asked the question, is that your natural hair? You, somebody might have said to you before, just act natural. Or it may have been wrong to kiss her, but it was very natural. <laughs> and um, hopefully that's none of the guys in any of our community groups. But... These are, this is the way that we speak about something as being natural. And all of these that I just mentioned share one thing in common. All of them are of themselves or of their own accord. It just happened naturally. It was unhindered. It was, it just, it was self-contained. It was something that I was moved to do. It didn't require outside interference. A naturalist therefore believes that everything that exists is of its own accord, that it is all self-contained, although not as, a, not as separate, but as a whole. Everything happens in what is known as the total event, which is all of reality. It's like a billiards table or a pool table where one ball is traveling at a certain speed and in traveling hits another ball. And ball A slows down and loses the exact amount of momentum that it transfers simultaneously into the second ball, which we will call ball B. And as ball B gains, 
Ball A loses. Nothing is separate. All spontaneity, therefore, originality, creativity, owes its existence to the whole show, which is called nature. And therefore, in a naturalistic worldview, nothing is truly original, but everything is the result of something else. Therefore, naturalists forego the right to believe in free will. If every decision you make is, is just simply momentum from your surroundings transferred into the decision you make, then you are a prisoner to your circumstances and are without free will. In as much as everything they do is merely the result of the total event of nature. This is known as the fact of nature. A supernaturalist, however, also believes in a basic original fact. One basic thing that has caused all other things to be. Naturalists say the thing is just nature. We don't know what the thing, it's just nature. Nature is just nature, it's just always been nature. But supernatural, supernaturalists say that that one thing is God. One is a democratic view that all things are so because of all things. And the other is a monarchical view or a monarchical picture of reality. It's interesting that since the emergence of democracy in our world, naturalism has grown as a worldview because we believe everything is democratic and everything comes about as a result of everything else or as a result of the law of averages or, or any other theory such as those. And so we have this naturalistic worldview where we see all things just as having come about of its own accord with no interference with the laws of nature. According to C.S. Lewis, there are three different conceptions of the law of nature. The first one is that laws of nature are mere brute facts with no discoverable rhyme or reason to them. We don't know why and we cannot see why. We're simply observing how things behave and that really is the objective role of science, just analyzing or observing that which is true, not positing. The moment you begin to posit reasons for why the thing you're observing is as it is, you move into the realm of faith and the realm of even religion. Number two, that the laws of nature are an application of the law of averages, where foundations are random and lawless, but the number of units we're dealing with is so enormous that we can begin to calculate behavior with practical accuracy. So everything that we see, there's no real law, it's just the law of averages that we're able to develop a pattern towards and say, okay, this is how things work or how they should work. Events far outside this law are so improbable that they are not even taken into account and therefore we would discount something like a miracle because it doesn't fall within our law of what normally happens. This is like flipping a coin a million times and eventually heads and tails end up uh, you know, happening almost equally over the million flips that you had done with the coin. The third one is that the fundamental laws of nature are merely necessary truths. These are just things that we have, that we have come to understand. Like in maths, if we understand what we are saying, the opposite would be nonsense. So knowing that two plus two equals four, that means that every other answer except for four is nonsensical. And so we have developed these laws of nature. However, these concepts 
do not contradict or exclude miracles, even from a scientific point of view. Science doesn't exclude the possibility of miracles. It simply has no means of defining it. What we have are merely observable facts. Science is merely observing the facts. We have no idea why these observations are the way they are. If we can see that something behaves in some way, but we don't know why, we have no certainty that it may not someday be otherwise. We cannot state that scientifically, that even though things have operated like this, and we've observed that, that, they may, that it may not be different at some point in the future, maybe even 10 minutes from now. Secondly, we have the law of averages, and this is in the same position. When you toss the coin a million times uh, on heads and tails equal out, you can develop patterns and probabilities. But this is only if the coin is not loaded or weighted on one side. But people who maintain that miracles are possible are maintaining precisely so because they say the coin is loaded. The law of averages only accounts for undoctored nature, but does not exclude that it could possibly be doctored by an outside force. The necessary truths. How can miracles contradict the necessary truths? As with the billiard, ball, the billiard balls that we mentioned earlier, how can the momentum lost by one ball not be equal to the momentum gained by the other? How could, we, how could it contradict those necessary truths that we have developed? And this looks like a firm argument. In science, however, there is a term called all other things being equal. I don't know if you've heard this in the, you know, when do you start doing science? Maybe grade four, grade five. The moment you start doing science, you start discussing the fact that all other things have to be equal in order for that predicted result to continue being proven. However, if there is interference, the result would be different. And so when you say that, that there's necessary truths, you're assuming that there are no interfering factors, but you're not excluding the possibility of interfering factors. For example, when you combine oxygen, oxygen and potassium, they are or they're explosive or they combust when combined. However, both potassium and oxygen are present in your blood right now. So why does your blood not catch fire? Why does it not combust? Can you imagine somebody walking into church and they just combust on the spot and everybody says, man, that guy is on fire. Sorry, that was a, a really bad dad joke. But, but the reason why we don't self-combust, even though we have oxygen and potassium in our blood, is because there are other factors that interfere with the process. The skeptic David Hume said, miracles are a violation of the laws of nature. But are they? Are they a violation? Let's say billiard ball A hits billiard ball B, but there's a rough patch on the felt of the table, or I accidentally touch ball B with the cue. It slows the ball down. And so our predictions turn out to be false because all other things are not equal. There's an interference. And so all that the physicist can do is declare what should happen when all other things are equal. But they cannot rule out the possibility or the probability of interference. 
you'd have to know the guy holding the cue. Therefore, if any experiment is tempered with by an outside agency, whether it's natural or supernatural, the effects will not equal the prediction. Not because the laws have been violated, but because they have actually been upheld. If I drop a tennis ball from this height and catch it over here, I haven't violated the law of gravity that, that would have caused the ball to fall to the ground. I've upheld the law by interfering with it. So I haven't violated the laws. I've, I've interfered with the experiment. C.S. Lewis wrote, wrote a great book called Miracles, where he really goes in depth on these things, and I would encourage everybody to read it. But C.S. Lewis said this. He said, miracle is, from the point of view of the scientist, a form of doctoring, tempering, if you like, cheating. It introduces a new factor into the situation, namely supernatural force, which the scientist has reckoned, which the scientist has, had not reckoned on. He calculated what must happen, or what must have happened on a past occasion, in the belief that the situation at that point of space and time is or was A. But if supernatural force had been added, then the situation really is or was AB. The equation is different. And no one knows better than a scientist that AB cannot yield the same result as A. The necessary truth of laws, far from making it impossible that miracles should occur, makes it certain that if a supernatural is operating, they must occur. If God annihilates or creates or deflects a unit of matter, he has created a new situation or a new experiment from that point. If God miraculously created a sperm in the womb of a virgin, in the case of the Immaculate Conception, nature is then ready to take over from that new situation, from that new point, and nine months later, guess what? A baby is born. So miracles are interlocked with nature like any other event. They do not violate the laws. They create a new equation. You could say that there is no supernatural entity in order to interfere with the law of nature. Then you would have a problem once again with how everything around us came to be. If something outside of nature doesn't exist, then how did nature come to exist? That would be the first question you would have to answer. And if something must necessarily exist outside of nature, then nature itself is a miracle. We're living in a miracle. Everything around you is a miracle. You are a miracle. And if nature itself is a miracle due to the interference of a supernatural God, it would be improbable to think that God would never again interfere with nature. And indeed, is interfering all of the time, even within nature. C.S. Lewis, again, puts it beautifully in this, uh, in this quote. He says, Miracles are a retelling in small letters of the very same story which is written across the world in letters too large for some of us to see. When something happens, when somebody is healed, when some miraculous situation takes place, when, when God comes through and provides for somebody miraculously, when we read the miracles uh, in the scriptures, those are just small examples of the entire context that we live in, the entire globe, the universe, reality itself. 
Hebrews 11 verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. If it is logical to believe in a creator like we looked at in week one, it is also logical to believe in miracles. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 8 says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he, he appeared also to me. A miracle after happening is subject to the same critical evaluation as any other natural event. If Jesus turned water into wine, then, then people should have tasted wine. They would have to have become inebriated by the wine because it's wine. For centuries, the resurrection of Jesus has come under that evaluation. And the difference between Jesus as God and, you know, Jesus as just merely a man is this one fact that he was raised from the dead. Mark Driscoll and Jerry Bashirs in their book, uh, Doctrine, mention a whole list of evidence, both direct and circumstantial, both biblical and historical, with historians like Josephus and Pliny the Younger and many others. All ancient texts have been analyzed for authenticity. The content has been evaluated as true or, or, or fable. Internal and external proofs exist. How many manuscripts we have of the story and the recollection and the, and, the, and the history of Jesus from how soon a time after it was written outweighs most of what we have in human history. We know more about, with more certainty, about the life and resurrection of Jesus than we do of the history of Alexander the Great or Julius Caesar. The Bible is arguably the most sound historical text in existence. The disciples believed it was true that Jesus had been raised from the dead, so much so that they were willing to die. All of them, except for John, who was exiled to the island of Patmos, believed in the resurrection and died as a result of that claim. So I want to conclude today that miracles do happen. Everything that exists is firstly a miracle. If there is a creator, that same creator can interfere with creation at any time. And he does. This is good news for all of us. He did it when Mary fell pregnant with Jesus. When Jesus turned water into wine, healed the sick, fed the multitudes, raised the dead. When Jesus himself was resurrected from the dead. When the early church started testifying of God's grace. And he does it today. In our lives, in our community, in our world, and through your life. There are countless verified testimonies on a daily basis which is inexplicable proof of the reality of miracles. And you can believe them too. I want to encourage you today. What miracle do you need in your life? Trust God. Ask God. Believe in God. He is able to do what we think may be impossible. And I thank God for that. Thank you so much for joining us again today. We hope you're encouraged. We're going to continue this series next Sunday. And we know that God is going to do miracles in your life and through your life.
Have a great week, everybody. We love you. We'll see you again next Sunday.